going to start this morning by telling you a little story. Uh, I was going to say about 20 years old years ago, and then I realised it was longer than that, but let's go with 20. Um, <laughs> about 20 years ago, I was applying to come to university, and um, this might terrify some people who've been through this process, but it got to kind of October, November, before we had to fill in our I can't remember the dates exactly. And I realised I'd not been to a single open day or read a single prospectus. And it was like the day that you had to send off the form. Um, and so I did what everyone who's responsible does, go on the internet, search sound technology, and apply for the first five courses that I like the look of, uh, and sent that off. And that is how I decided which universities to go to. Um, my wife is sat there because I... I just like probably thinking, how can you make that decision that quick? Because I, I, I think a lot about some decisions that don't need a lot of thought. Um, but this one, where I was going to spend three years of my life, I decided straight away, just, you know, bash, quick. Uh, thankfully, in those days, there weren't that many music technology courses, so that helped. Um, when everything came back, I had been rejected by two universities. One university that did a course that wasn't quite what I wanted to do had accepted me uh, and wanted quite low grades. And then there were two places that wanted the same, similar courses, one of which was Huddersfield. Um, so I put the, the lower one down as like my insurance, my backup plan. And I then had to decide between Huddersfield and I'm not going to say the other place, uh, Stafford. Uh, and, um, and I had to decide between the two, and I'd not been to either place, and I had to like commit, where am I going to spend three years of my life? And so, and we weren't being, this isn't a super spiritual thing, but we prayed about it, um, because we just didn't have time for, to do any visits or anything, there were no open days, <laughs> that sort of thing. So, I mean between getting the application and between, between being told where I could go and then having to tell them where I was going to go, I didn't have time to, to come up here. And so I, we prayed about it. And um, I went to bed one night. And during the night, I had this dream. Um, and I, was, I knew I was somewhere where I was living. Um, I've only ever lived on the south coast um, in, in one town. Um, and I was somewhere where I knew I was living in my dream. I can't tell you how I knew that, but I knew I was living there. And I felt really at peace, and I felt really welcome. And, and then during the dream, I saw a sign that said Huddersfield. And I knew instantly. Um, and I woke up the next morning just with this sense of peace, just like I'm called there. I knew instantly. Now, there were two things. I didn't see, like, people's faces. It would be lovely to say, oh, I saw Vinny and Marcus, and you know, but I didn't see people's faces. But there were two things I did see in my dream that I remember. I saw a warehouse with people worshipping. I don't think... I can't remember if it was exactly like this. And the other thing I saw, which I had no idea about, because, like, I, go to, I used to go to a church, the men of school, so, you know, big open space people worshipping. But the other thing I saw that I had no idea about was a castle on a hill. And when I turned up, and we, I did come to an open day, just to be clear, I did come to Huddersfield before I moved here. Um, but when, I, when we came up and had a look around, I saw the castle on the, on the hill, and I just knew straight away. What I didn't know was that I would still be here 21 years later. Because the plan was three years, 
back down south, go to the beach. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but yeah, God is good, and he, and that's, that's, in a nutshell, the story about how God told me to come to Huddersfield. Now, I'm just telling you that, it might make a bit of sense why I'm telling you that in a minute, but um, we're going to talk about dreams <laughs> this morning. Um, so, Vinny's already mentioned, if you're a visitor, you, or, or this is your first time in a couple of weeks, just want to introduce you to our theme that we're talking about. We're talking about exiles and eternity. And, and all that means is that we, as Christians, are, the Bible says we are citizens of heaven. The Bible says we belong to heaven. We, we live by the rules of heaven. We live by the word, by what's set out in the Bible. That's how we live. And, but we don't live in heaven. You may not have noticed, but we don't live in heaven. We live on earth. We live in, in this place surrounded by other people who don't know God. We, we live in a fallen world that, where there's sin and there's struggle and there's challenge all the time. Heaven's not like that. And so we live in this place which we don't really belong but we're called to live in it. We're called to be faithful in it. We're called to, live, uh, to bring God's kingdom to earth. And so that's what it means to be an exile. We live as exiles, but we have a view and we look upon eternity because we've seen something. We've been singing about him this morning. We've seen Jesus. We've seen his majesty. We've seen his reign. We see eternity. And there are several books in the Bible that talk about the exiles. Um, in, in the Old Testament, things happen uh, which we then can learn from. That God uses those stories, those te- those things that have happened in the Old Testament. He uses them to teach us things. And the people of Israel were literally taken into exile. King Nebuchadnezzar came and literally took some people from from Israel and took them to Babylon. They lived in. Babylon in this place of exile. They didn't belong there. They were the people of God, the people of Israel, but they lived in Babylon. And so we can learn things, and we're looking through the book of Daniel uh, this term to learn from what God has for us in there. So we're going to read a reasonable chunk of Daniel now, Daniel 2. And because you don't want to hear my voice all morning, I'm going to get my lovely wife Ruth to come and read it for us. Daniel 2, verses 1 to 30. Thank you. That's the royal we're going to read it. Wife, please read the scriptures. I'm reading from the New International Version. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. 
But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this time, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God, my ancestors, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you, and you have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner, diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but... There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. 
As for me, the mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Spoiler alert, you'll find out next week what the dream was. Or you could go and read it. Great, thank you, Ruth. It's great just to read a big chunk of scripture, isn't it? So, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, probably the most powerful man in the world at this point, has a dream. And it troubles him. Now, we all have dreams, don't we? We all had dreams. But you know, sometimes you wake up and there's like this. this you're shaken by it, aren't you? I don't know if it, maybe it's just me. Um, but sometimes something, you know, you have a dream or something, a really vivid dream, and, and it shakes you. Um, but then you kind of go on a, a bit and, and you're fine. But this dream troubled King Nebuchadnezzar. And he has a sense that it's not just a dream, he has a sense that it's a message that the gods have spoken to him. Now, this wasn't particularly uncommon thinking in those times. Um, they were, the people of Babylon were very spiritual. They had many gods. Um, Nebuchadnezzar believed in these many gods. And so he expected that maybe the gods had spoken to him in a dream. And it says, doesn't it, the dream deeply troubled him. He understood his dream was a message from a God, but he had not linked it to the God of Israel. And that's why he calls in his magicians, that's why he calls in his, uh, his fortune tellers and all these people, because he wants an answer. He wants an answer straight away, because he knows that he's been spoken to by God, although, as I said, he hasn't put it on God yet. You know, God speaks. God speaks to everyone. And that's, I guess, my, the first thing I want to say this morning is, is to be really clear that God speaks to everyone. He speaks to you and I, but he speaks to people out in the world as well, though they may not know it. He reveals himself through creation. Romans 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. He has revealed himself to the world. I was up at Castle Hill yesterday and I just looked out and I saw all these rolling hills and I just stood there and just for a moment just took in the beauty of God's creation. Wow, like, how can anyone think that's an accident? <laughs> it's amazing. God continually reveals himself to people through various things, through, through creation, through things that go on in their lives. And he speaks to them through the external, though they may not perceive it's him. But you know, there is also an internal knowing that people don't realize. It says... Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, this is in the New International, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, 
Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has set eternity in the human heart, in the hearts and the minds of men. And though people may not perceive it to be God, there is a sense within everyone of more than just this, isn't there? There's, there's this sense of more than just this, because we are designed for eternity. You know, this is why loss is so hard. Because we're designed for eternity in community with each other and with God. We were never meant to be separated. And as Christians, we believe that death has lost its sting. But there's this temporary moment that we're not designed for. There's this temporary moment where loss occurs that we're not designed for. You know, over the last two weeks, we've seen that play out in extraordinary ways in our nation. That people are coming and they're saying, I don't know why I feel, but I feel I need to come. I feel like I'm, I've lost something because something has been torn away. There's been a, there's been a tearing. And maybe for some, for people, for some people, it's, it's been like, you know, I, I, I love the Queen. But actually for other people, there's just a, there's, there's a loss that's, that goes deeper than that. And it's triggered lots of other emotions with people. And people have been reminded of, 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 relationships and friendships and family that they've lost and it and it hurts loss hurts because we were never designed for it and I was I was listening this week people were just saying I've had a deeply spiritual experience as they went through you know the the um, lying in state they couldn't explain it and that's because we have eternity in our hearts we have eternity in our hearts we're not designed for loss. We're not designed for separation. And God shows his eternal self through people's lives and through their circumstances. But as I said, much like Nebuchadnezzar, most people don't attribute it to the God of heaven. You know, how many times have you had, the, uh, had a conversation with someone where they've said, oh, this happened to me. Wasn't that a great coincidence? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I remember I, I had several conversations with people who, um, for those of you who don't know, I work for the church. I'm the operations manager. Um, I used to be self-employed. Three weeks before COVID, I started working for the church. If I hadn't been working for the church at that point, we wouldn't have had any money. And, and, and I remember saying to people, like, three weeks before, I got this new job and I started doing this new job. And they were like, oh, that's amazing. That's such a great coincidence. no. It's God. <laughs> God provides. God put me in that place. And it is therefore our job as citizens of heaven, citizens of the eternal heaven, to point people to Jesus, to point people to what he's done both in our lives and in theirs. As they tell us about what's going on, as they tell us about their experiences, as they tell us about their dreams, as they tell us about different things, it's our job as the people of heaven to point them to Jesus. And it plays out in relation, this can play out in our relationships, our close relationships, our friendships, with work colleagues, or you know, with our boss, or various places. It's our job to point people to Jesus and what he's saying and to his eternal kingdom. Because we know him. We know him. We know the eternal God. And therefore we get, other, get to help others see him. So how do we do this? 
Well, our first point is this. We need to know the master's voice. We need to know the master's voice. John 10 verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If we don't know how God speaks, or what he sounds like when he speaks, how can we point people? How will we recognize it when something happens? We won't, and we'll just attribute it to circumstance. We'll just attribute it to a nice coincidence. But if we know the voice of God, then we can clearly say, when people say, this is happening in my life, we can say, that's God moving. You know, I have a dog, a Labrador, and um, he is 21 months, 22 months, sometimes like that, there. And on the lead, walking on the lead, he is a nightmare. Like, there's probably <laughs> pulling all over the place. Like, we, I've tried no end of things. 25 kilos of Labrador, if it wants to go, he's gone. Um, but off lead, he's brilliant. And, and, we, and so we try and generally try and take him places where we can let him run off the lead. And he comes back most of the time, unless there are apples or other foods <laughs> um, that he shouldn't be eating. He comes back. He knows my voice. I'm his master. And when I call Jensen, he comes running, even in a noisy field with other dogs, with other people playing. When I call Jensen, he comes. He comes because he knows my voice, and he comes because he knows that in my voice there's life, there's shelter, there's provision, he gets fed, there's joy, there's more walks, there's toys, there's fun. He knows that. He knows that, that with me comes that package. We know a master's voice that brings hope, transformation, grace, and peace. So when God speaks to other people, we need to be able to know it's God and bring that voice of life, that voice of transformation. When someone says, I'm struggling with this, but I just feel this, we need to be able to speak into it, knowing that God is coming to move in people's lives, knowing that God wants to breathe his life into them. And we don't want to miss it. I don't, I don't want to miss it. If God's speaking, I don't want to miss it. Um, I just want to say on this point, if you, there's a great resource. I don't know if it's in there. Um, but Pete Gregg's book, How to Hear God, is a really, really, I don't have time to go into it all this morning, but it's a really clear, simple way of learning to hear the voice of God, learn to hear how he speaks, what he speaks like. But, you know, we need to be hearing his voice. We need to be reading the word. We need to be worshipping together. We need to be praying. We need to be spending time meditating on scripture. We need to be spending time just walking with him daily. Just and keeping our eyes open. God, what, what are you doing? What are you saying? We don't want to miss it. And our second point is this. People will listen to a people of integrity. I love this story. I mean, I love the whole book of Daniel. It's got a great name um, to start with. Um, but I, I love this story because I think Nebuchadnezzar is bonkers. Like, and I just love, I kind of, in that weird way, you know, like you like Darth Vader, like the bad guy in, in the film. Like, like I, love, I love the audacity of him to kind of say, 
well, you, I'm going to kill you unless you tell me what I dreamt last night. Like, <laughs> that's mad. Um, and it's funny, and it probably wasn't then, I guess. But, um, but you know, when you think about why, why was Nebuchadnezzar demanding such ridiculous things? It is ridiculous. And it occurred to me that as the leader of a great nation, the leader of a great empire, there'll be kind of people who just serve him daily, you know, but there'll be people on the extremes. On the one hand, you'll have people over here who want to take advantage of him, who want to muscle in, who want to potentially knock him off the throne and might tell him anything that skews that, might tell him anything that makes him make a bad decision might say anything to him that would just cause him to do something stupid that might cause his downfall of his throne, that that they might be raised up. And then on the other hand, you've got the people who will literally do anything for him. The people who will just tell him exactly what he needs, exactly what what he thinks he needs. They'll answer all his questions with yes, the yes men. And and Nebuchadnezzar, I think he's realised this. He realises this. He's been told lies maybe over the years. He's been taken advantage of. He's been told what he wants to hear. He says to them, doesn't he, don't go, don't try and like delay this. Like, tell me now. He's looking for people of truth. He's looking for someone to come and bring truth and clarity. The world is looking for a people of truth. The world is looking for a church of integrity you know perhaps the church and I mean globally maybe in our nation perhaps the church has not been known for this we've not been known as being a people of integrity we we maybe say God loves everyone but then on the one hand we're doing that but on the other hand we're, we're bashing people over here for, for their beliefs in things or maybe Maybe we're saying, God, God's a generous God and he provides everything, but over here I'm stingy and, I, and I'm going to hold everything in and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be generous. It's just my God's generous, but, but, but not me. The world is looking for a people of integrity, a church of integrity, a church that when we say God loves everyone, we love everyone. When we say God forgives you, we forgive people. When we say that God accepts you for who you are, when we say God, God accepts you no matter what you've done, we accept people no matter what they've done. That's what the world's looking for. Romans 8.19, a familiar passage Creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You know, I think there's something in that about just just standing as the church and not doing this on a Sunday and then going back and doing our normal lives, but it being one thing that we worship and we praise this glorious God that loves everyone and 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 then we go into the world and we bring that. We bring grace, we bring truth, we bring peace, we bring hope, we bring restoration. Daniel, 
proves himself to be a man of integrity. And God uses him. And he has the faithfulness to carry out the job in hand because he knows there is an eternal perspective. Remember, it's not him. He says, it's not me that's bringing, that's revealing you these mysteries. It's God. He has an eternal perspective. Point three, we need to be a people who have an understanding of who God is and what his kingdom is like. Daniel tells of what is to come. It's not easy. The story that Daniel then tells him, I'm going to, spoiler alert again, it's not an easy story that he tells him. The dream is not a nice dream. And he doesn't say, I'm bringing you this interpretation because I'm great. What he says is, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. It is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I understand, that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. It's powerful what he brings. And he comes as a man of integrity, but he comes as a man who understands God and he understands where God has put him for such a time as this. He isn't afraid of Nebuchadnezzar's reaction because he knows God is in charge. He's willing to count the cost to play his part, even though it may cost him. There's a a footballer called Ellen White. Some of you may remember her from the summer. She was part of the Lionesses squad that won the Euros. She is the top women's goal scorer for England of all time. I think she's 52 goals she scored for England. She went into the tournament three goals behind the all-time record, which was set by Wayne Rooney. All the way through the tournament, people kept saying, is Ellen going to break the record? Is she going to break the record? Is she going to break the record? Is she going to break the record? She scored two goals in the tournament, leaving her one place behind Wayne Rooney on the all-time. England won, and she retired. One behind She spent the entire tournament basically wearing down defences. Every single match, she would go up front and she would wear down the defence to the point that the substitutes came on. And if any of you watch the matches, you'll know the substitutes came on and basically then just scored two, three, four, five goals, including one back hill. Um, But she played her part. She went out there and she knew her role was to basically wear down the defences. And she knew that if she did that faithfully, she could come off and she could watch her team win. And they went on to win the Euros. And then, as I say, she retired, one goal behind. I mean, I think I'd have probably played a couple more. I'd want that accolade. But for her, it was never about how many goals she could score. It was never about the personal accolade. It was for the team. We're going to win together. And, uh, and I just, that just really spoke to me. Because there's times where we wrestle, isn't there? There's times where we jostle for position. And actually, we need to be a people who come to God and say, here I am, send me. As Isaiah said, the, the verse Ali put in the midweek news this week, here I am, send me. Send me into the world. 
Send me to wherever you want. And if you want me to go to a high position in authority, then great. But actually, if you just want me to serve people where I am in this place, then I'll do that as well. Because I know it's not for me, it's for your kingdom. It's for eternity. And people who reveal God to others have their eyes fixed on the prize, on Jesus, his kingdom, and his glory. And then when we're in that place, that's when we then can start. You know, someone says, we're thinking this, we're doing this. That's when we start to bring God to interpret those dreams that people have had. So so if someone says, you know, we're thinking about doing this, what do you think? And we're coming from it from a point of view of, okay, God, God, what's best for your kingdom? Let's go. We get to reveal God, to bring his word, to bring his truth, and to show people that he's everywhere. He's involved in everything. He's interested in everything. Daniel lifts up God above all other things. We read that, don't we, in verse 20. When he gets the dream, he says, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars, and he reveals deep and mysterious things. I thank and praise praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. Daniel lifts up God above all other things. It was never about Daniel getting a position. It was about God being glorified. So we're going to go back into worship now. I can invite the musicians back. Worshipping our eternal God. Fixing our eyes heavenward. And as we do, I just want to encourage you to allow God to speak to you. Listen for his voice. Spend some moments just saying, God, God, I just want to tune into your voice again. I just want to hear you. I just want to know you. Allow him to challenge anything that gets in the way of that. Allow, maybe, there's some, maybe, maybe there's just things that get in the way of you hearing him clearly and allow him to challenge that. But I also want us to dream a bit this morning, if that's all right. What would it look like in our homes, in our workplaces, if God used us to reveal not just what he's saying to us, but also to draw out what he's saying to other people when they don't even know it? What would that look like? What would that look like in, in, in the playground when you're, talking, when, when you're talking to someone there? What would it look like in your workplace? What would it look like in your schools? What would it look like in those board meetings? What would it look like where you draw out what God's saying and revealing to people and point them to Jesus?